Hi, my name is Dave Anderveen, and this is the Kick Aspirational Podcast. It's actually the first one. And uh, so I'd like to describe it to you and tell you why I'm doing it and maybe uh, encourage you to join me in a, in a journey that I'm going on um, that involves a lot of stories from my own life, uh, questions I've been asked repeatedly by literally thousands of people over the years as I've built a business. But, um, but going deeper than that and talking about why I think it's important that uh, that people break through barriers. Uh, Kick Aspirational is uh, built off of an Instagram site that I started. It's at Kick Aspirational on Instagram. That's all about a term that we use in a brand that I helped build called Excess. And um, the term Kick Aspirational means uh, being uh, kick-ass in a positive, unique, and powerful way in our own lives. It's designed, this podcast and the work that I'm doing with the Kick Aspirational Project is designed to be interactive. It means I'd really love your feedback, your input, questions, and really whatever else you might care to add, share, and include. It's about progressing in life. Um, If you haven't been to the Kick Aspirational account, please check it out. Uh, You also may have questions about who I am. That's fine. Um, Many of you may not know me. Uh, you can find out a lot about me at davidvanderveen.com. It's my own website uh, for people that want to uh, dig deeper. And it's got different podcasts I've done with people like Pete Holmes, You Made It Weird, uh, Srini Rouse podcast, Unmistakably Creative, uh, which actually was turned into a pretty cool uh, animated short by Rain Wilson's site, Soul Pancake. And then um, you'll find some of the writing I've done, references to, uh, you know, um, the uh, Love, Wind Companions, Love Wins Companion Guide that I did with Rob Bell, uh, some other writing that I've done in Disquiet Time and other places, um, and two episodes of The Daily Show. So I've, I've been out there kind of uh, having some fun telling stories and, um, and trying to share the value that I find in life with other people in ways that hopefully um, creates value back. So, so that's a big element of why I'm doing this, who I am, and where I come from. You know, I'm mostly known for my work in business, particularly the excess brand uh, that my business partners and I built in 2002. Um, You know, it was a very unique brand at the time. We were the first one to be sugar-free. We were doing energy drinks, the first one to be sugar-free, to do flavors, I think, to taste great. But we were also the first one to use mega doses of B vitamins with caffeine to give you a healthier, longer-lasting energy. And I'm not trying to sell you my drinks. Uh, We do a lot of sports nutrition products today. Uh, but we were very, very unique and, and looking for white spaces where we could add value to people who wanted things that didn't exist. Um, and then we were also looking for ways to be disruptive in how we distributed. You, you're probably aware that you know, a few big beverage companies control most of the beverage market today. And um, so we didn't want to go head to head with them, particularly people like Red Bull. I'd owned a Red Bull distributorship uh, in a past business. We were looking for an alternative way to distribute. And... Um, and so we ended up partnering with Amway. I'm also not trying to sign you up for Amway, <laughs> but that's who we partnered with. We had a great Brit business partnership for many years. They finally bought us a few years ago. We had a three-year earnout, and uh, you know we've had a very, very successful partnership and a successful earnout with them. And so as part of that work, I've ended up um, you know doing business in over 50 countries, working with literally. Um, millions of distributors from China to India, throughout Southeast Asia, Japan, Korea, Europe, the Americas, and and other parts of the world, uh, Russia, Central Asia. Uh, And we've just had a ton of fun doing it. And and I think one of the best things that I've discovered through that process uh, 
is that we're all made out of people. <laughs> I don't care where you come from. I don't care what religion you are, what you believe, what your eyes look like, what color your skin is. Um, we're all people at the end of the day, and most of us want very, very similar things. And so, um, you know, I was, I, was, uh, I was living in Laguna Beach when we created Excess. Excess was born there. And what we try and export to the world is that that version of freedom that Southern California represents, the outdoor lifestyle, getting in the ocean, hiking, mountain biking, snowboarding, skiing, just, just living a life of adventure uh, in a way that's empowered by entrepreneurship. And so um, over the years, as we've built this lifestyle brand, we do lots of fun parties and, and outdoor events and different things around the world that we share on social media. I've had a lot of people ask me, uh, how did you do it? How did you create excess? Uh, which, which I really take to mean, how did you create this business? How could I create a business of my own? And ultimately, how could I create the life that I want to live? And, um, and maybe, you know, if, if, it, if it helps, I can, I can just read a couple quick notes from people outside of our business um, uh, who've sent me some, some messages. One was from a friend from college, Steve Snezik, uh, a good friend of mine when I was at Wheaton College before, before I got kicked out. Um, and this was a few years ago. He said, as I look to 2014 and what has led me to this point in my life, I need to make some changes. And that will make a difference for me and my family. Not just changes for changes sake or resolutions. So I have a book box to check. And in that vein, I have a weird request. And I hope that you have the chance to take a little time and help me with it. Simply put, how did you do it? What is your secret? Is there something in your daily practice that you know has given you an edge? What do you pray about? How do you know when you've got an answer? And what is the correct answer? Um, or, or that is the correct answer. What advice would you have for me looking in to make something happen in my life? And what should I do in the form of a daily routine that will change my, change my fortunes and my luck? You know, I'd like to add here that, in my opinion, Steve's already been fairly successful. He's got a great marriage. He's got wonderful kids. They've adopted some kids. He's worked in politics and in business in Montana. And, um, and he's been a coach. Uh, he probably still is. And we've had a lot of conversations over the years. Eventually, I'd like to bring Steve on and do an interview with him. But, um, but that's the sort of questions I've gotten. Um, another one I got was from... Uh, a, a student whose brother met me at Wheaton College when I did a talk there on entrepreneurship. His name's Ethan Cater. I actually ended up doing a, a video podcast with him years later. Uh, but this is what he had written me at the time. It's been a source of encouragement for me to see your story, how you've come to do something really unique and special with your life. I would be so very grateful for just any advice or guidance wisdom you may have for a young college-bound guy who doesn't want to sell out and who wants to truly dig for all that my potential will allow me. I'm not much of an academic or a rule follower. <laughs> I'm not either. But I love challenging myself, love adventure, and I'm inspired by folks like yourself who are incredibly ambitious yet keep life very real and simple. Ethan. Um, so, you know, I, I've had a number of interactions with Ethan and Steve and, and a lot of other people over the years who've asked us about the excess history, about how I got to, to start excess how we built it, how we built it around the world and built a global brand. Um, in fact, that brand you know, has done over a couple billion dollars in revenue, uh, well over that now. Uh, we've moved over just in energy drinks, we've moved over a billion cans. And, and one of my favorite statistics is because of excess, because of the way we value partners who help us build the brand, we've paid out over $500 million in, uh, in bonuses and profits to, uh, 
to small business owners around the world that have helped us build it. And, and that's a lot more than I've made from the brand. <laughs> but I think that's a big part of our values that we think uh, if we help other people make dollars and we can make nickels and dimes, um, you know, the success is, is, uh, is a lot better. It's a lot bigger and, uh, and it helps us go further. So, um, you know, those are all great questions and, and we'll try and answer some of those. And I'd love to hear your questions too as, as we go through some of this and, and see if we can, we can dig in a little bit. Um, and, and eventually what I'd love to do is, uh, is actually do some workshops with people who are working on projects and help you think through either business ideas or, or other types of uh, creative projects where, um, where you're trying to actually get some traction and make some things happen. Um, you know, it's funny, if uh, about a year ago I shared Rob Bell's uh, podcast, it's called The Robcast, where he inter- interviewed a guy named Mike Lewis who wrote a book called When to Jump. Um, Mike was uh, an investment banker, I think, who decided to jump to a professional career in squash, which, which is kind of funny. Not a lot of money in squash, and he had to fight and scrap to play it around the world. But his story um, inspired him, Mike Lewis, to interview a lot of other people about when they made the decision to jump from a job or a career into their own thing. And I shared that with Steve Snezik, who had written me the other, the other letter, and I said, hey, Steve, this might be helpful. And he broke it down a little more for me. He said, well, that's great. Um, you know, I'd love to jump. I just don't know what to jump to. How do you figure out what to jump to? Which is an even a deeper question. You know, I think there's a series of things people have to work out in their lives. Um, do they want to jump? Do they want a career? Or do they, they want to stick with you know, what they've got? If you've got the right thing and you're really happy with it, congratulations, by the way. Um, this podcast might not be for you. Uh, but, but there's a lot of people who are looking for progression, for doing more, for getting more out of life. And you know, if, if you're like me and you weren't chosen by the right team or the right school or the right profession, I got, I got kicked out of college. Um, you know, for being too awesome. <laughs> no, I got kicked out of college because uh, we had a secret society. We were throwing huge parties, and uh, we started a newspaper called the Ice Cream Socialist. Our secret society was called the Church of Reason, and I was at a very conservative Christian college, Wheaton College, which didn't want you partying, uh, didn't appreciate the satire we were generating, <laughs> or the large following among students that we had. Um, we were winning elections uh, in the in the you know the student body organizations and and having a ton of fun. Uh, maybe more fun than, than the administration appreciated, so they asked me to leave. Um, happened in a firestorm. We created big protests around uh, because they kicked me out for a poem that was published in this newspaper um, and, you know, issues of the First Amendment, whatever. But part of, that, part of that process was me learning to get control of my own story. Um, when when I realized that either Wheaton was going to tell a story about me or I could tell the version of my story that I thought was more true, we decided to take that story and to make it a national story and to get in front of the news media and, and to give it legs. And we ended up uh, not only um, in the Chicago Tribune on the front page, but also in the evening news. My parents found out because a friend saw the evening news while watching a Cubs game and, um, and ultimately in the New York Times. And that propelled me to, into an internship that I was trying to get that I probably would not have gotten, uh, helping Susie Garment write a book on scandal at the American Enterprise Institute. And so those things kind of taught me early on that I didn't need to wait for somebody else to pick me. Um, I played a little soccer in college, wasn't really you know, that great, 
very average. Um, I was a B student, B plus when I was lucky in my major. Um, you know, I, I just wasn't um, winning everything, let's put it that way. But we were having a ton of fun and we were generating a lot of followers. And I think that experience of getting kicked out of school really taught me that you need to take control of your own story. You need, you need to be the one to tell it to the world, not somebody else. And if you, if you will choose yourself, then maybe you can start to create the reality you want to live in rather than the reality that other people are offering you. And so Kick Aspirational is all about that. Some of those things I've learned along the way, largely through failures. Um, I don't think successes teach us that much. I think we mostly learn when we fail and, and continue on. And um, it's funny, you know, um, I, I'm working on a book uh, about this whole thing, about Kick Aspirational, uh, titled Kick Aspirational. And it's, I've sent around some, some book proposals and, and one of the editors that I've worked with in the past um, at a large publishing house said to me, he said, well, you know, um, the problem with this concept is that, you know, I don't think you're average, David. And I said, well, you know, that's a good point and I agree with you. And then, you know, I haven't really had a follow-up conversation. We're going to have that later. But let me explain what I mean by, by I don't think I'm average. And frankly, I don't think any individual is average either. Average to me is a myth in the sense that it's a concept that, just, that describes something that doesn't exist in reality. If, uh, I also think there are true myths, things that tell truths that are truer than things we experience individually in reality. But in this case, I just don't think it's real. Um, if you understand how statistics work, for example, average is a mean, right? It's, it's a, you take a number of different data points and then you, you create an, uh, an average between them. Um, it's useful and helpful in a lot of ways, uh, but it doesn't really tell you about the individual data points very much. Um, if you take all the data points, let's say we're talking about people and you average those individuals, you do end up with an average person, but it's really important to understand that the average person isn't a real person, that the data points are all unique and we're all anomalies in that equation. And so I think the questions that I want to ask the individuals, the data points, the anomalies are pretty important. It's who am I? Like who is this data point? You know, who is this point on the graph? And then I think the other big question is why am I here? Those are big, broad, and difficult questions. In fact, I'd argue that maybe um, they aren't supposed to be answered as much as they ought to be the questions that we wrestle with throughout our existence. Uh, when I was at a particularly painful crossroads in my own life, uh, a friend at church this is living, was living up in, in Bellevue, Washington, working in Seattle, and had a huge catastrophic failure where a founder of a company where I was a chief technology officer um, stole tens of millions of dollars, one of the largest uh, financial fraud cases in Washington State's history. And despite the fact that the company I was at was clean and doing good work, and we were really leading some breakthrough development in, um, in the fitness space and healthcare technology, uh, the, the FTC seized us all and shut us down. And um, so I was at this crossroads trying to figure out what to do next. And you know, I really kind of wanted to get out of tech. I wanted to find the next thing, but not be in so much volatility with startups. And a friend at church had gone to Stanford Business School, and he connected me with one of his professors, who's become quite a famous author. His name is Jim Collins. He wrote Built to Last, Good to Great, a number of amazing New York Times bestsellers that are breakthroughs in how we understand business, based on, primarily based on his research. 
Um, so Jim was very helpful. He sent me this diagram that's become a famous diagram of his at the time. It wasn't well, well known. Um, and it's, so it's a Venn diagram of three intersecting circles. The first one is, he said, what are you passionate about? Um, he said, the second one is, what can you be best in the world at? And you know, I take that to mean, what's your comparative advantage? What is it that you're better than other people at? Um, I don't think I can probably be best in the world at anything. But I do think there's things that I do better than other people. And then the third thing is, where do you make money? You know, how can you make money? And I think he, what he was saying is where those three circles intersect, that area is where you should focus all your time and attention. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's a, again, like the first two questions I asked, who am I and why am I here? Um, it's a very simple diagram, but finding that point is incredibly complicated. Um, and so this is what, you know, in my opinion, it takes a lot of trial and error. It takes a lot of testing and getting feedback. And uh, that's why, for example, my wife and I love the liberal arts education because I don't think coming out of high school, most people have any idea what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> you need to try a lot of things. The liberal arts education created by Thomas Jefferson to create better citizens, by the way, not to help people make loads of money, um, but to really help you learn to think and develop who you are as a person is a great place to develop yourself and to learn what you're great at and what you're not so good at and then focus on a, on a few things, maybe one or two majors, where, where you can you know, add value to the world. Um, and so through that process of going through a liberal arts education, I did graduate in four years, by the way, with two majors, philosophy and political science. Um, I learned that you know, you're much better off leapfrogging in life, working in parallel, rather than just trying to find a linear progression. Um, and you know, so when Recently, when I was doing this interview uh, for a, a big opportunity, um, there was a series of interviews I had to do, a lot of tests on my, uh, my values and my personality, a lot of interviews with consultants. One of the consultants said to me, he said, well, you know, it looks like you kind of jumped around a lot in your career. <laughs> and I said, of course I did. That's my process. My process is you have to try a number of things that you're interested in, that you're passionate about, to find the things where you have a comparative advantage and where you can make money, where you have unique opportunities to actually earn a living and take care of your family. Um, and so these, these big opportunities that have come for me, and that I've had a number of them over the years, have come from inspiration. And I would say that from some mysterious source outside myself that I can't really pinpoint, but as I'm doing these things, I start to discover what maybe some people would call God or a muse or something metaphysical that throws open a door among the various doors I'm trying and testing that it is obvious to me I need to step through, even though sometimes it's very scary and not what I had planned. And, um, and I think that comes from participating in the power behind the universe we live in. And let me explain that idea a little more because this gets into... You know, whether you're an atheist or religious or kind of agnostic, maybe some areas where people are a little uncomfortable. Um, first, I'm not really overly interested in discussing the specifics of a particular religion or political persuasion here. Whatever you choose to believe, whatever construct, as I like to call it, <laughs> works for you is fine. Let's be clear that whether you're an atheist in pursuit of scientific models, a Christian, Hindu, Muslim, Jewish believer, or whatever religion you are, in pursuit of one of those models, that's okay but they're all models, and I think we need to recognize that. 
they're all human constructs. They're all human constructs, really kind of attempting to share an epiphany, experience, or repeatable event. This may seem a bit controversial, but I believe it's true, and hopefully you can come to agreement with me on it. None of those things are the actual thing itself. Um, first, science isn't the experience it's trying to, it's, it's trying to explain. It's really built, to, the scientific method is built to create models of experience, particularly repeatable experiences. Um, it is incredibly helpful. It gives us laws that allow us to predict and understand how the world works. Um, it's given us amazing comforts, massive technical innovations, and it's changed history through things like the application of science to warfare. Um, but science is not the thing itself. It's a model of the things we experience, and using Occam's razor, the most elegant model wins. You can explain, for example, if you think that the Earth is the center of the universe, why stars kind of rotate through the sky with very complicated constants. And we did that for 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 hundreds of years before Galileo helped us understand that uh, you know the Earth wasn't the center of the universe, and there was more elegant ways to create models of of how the universe works. Um, and second, religion isn't isn't the thing itself either. And I know many of you think, hey, you were born into this faith, or maybe you discovered one that you adopted, and it is true, and it is truer than the other ones. And and God bless you. I, I'm not going to fight you on that. You, you, hopefully you, you have chosen something to worship because we all worship something. <laughs> uh, and, and understanding what you worship is really important. But I think, you know, while each religion has competing claims on truth, and, and again, please don't post some angry comment that, you know, I'm not following yours well enough or I'm not a good enough Christian or whatever it is. Um, the point is that each religion was designed by people from different parts of the world, different places, to try and articulate models for why we're here. What is the truest cosmology you can imagine? And how does that relate to the culture that you come from? Um, and, and so my point in all of this is that whether you're an atheist, agnostic, whether you have a religious belief, congratulations. I think science is really great for telling us how things work. I think religion is really great for helping us understand why we're here. Um, Please don't confuse those two tools, by the way. But those are all constructs. And what I'm always interested in is getting past the constructs, deconstructing, and getting to the things itself, the experience itself, the, the power behind the universe. Um, in fact, let's, if you don't mind, um, let's start with a simple, hopefully shared assumption that a singularity exploded this universe into existence less than 14 billion years ago. An explosion of something so infinitely small and dense with such immense power and, and, and you know, density that it created this constantly expanding universe we inhabit today. That seems to be very well proven and accepted. Um, hard to argue with that. If you want to argue with that, I'm probably the wrong guy. Um, hopefully we can agree on that. Here's what we know. That energy is moving in a direction. And we're moving with it. Rob Bell has some great talks about this um, based on just fundamental uh, cosmo cosmology and science, you know, the basic physics of the universe. Our Earth is part of a solar system, and that solar system is traveling out into space, out into this expanding universe at roughly 70,000 miles per hour. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong there. I'm, I'm not a scientist, but that's how I understand it. 
And so if you've watched Star Trek as an example, the whole thing about the Starship Enterprise going where no one's gone before, that's effectively what we're doing every day when we're sitting, you know, standing still wherever you are. I'm sitting in Bangkok at a hotel doing this podcast, but I'm actually traveling at 70,000 miles an hour out into the unknown. And so are you. And that's really, really amazing. And we are incredibly lucky that we're all here right now. And, and so if we're on this uniquely habitable planet in this uniquely habitable solar system, we can argue there might be others, but so far no one's found any. Um, and there's this power behind the explosion that created it all. Then let's assume that power doesn't need us. Let's assume that power is unbelievably uh, effective without us uh, participating in it. And let's also assume that if we can relate to this massively power universe, you know, we are insignificant in it. And our lives can become, you know, seem very chaotic and meaningless at times. Um, and, and that can lead to despair. Um, that's the typical existentialist problem. Uh, and, and it ought to, frankly, if you're paying any attention at all. But if we can assume that, then I think we can also assume that if we can embrace that power, if we can wrestle with that power, if we can challenge that power and, and, and find our place in it, then we have this unique opportunity as humans to do something that no other animals can do, and that is to create. We can create value. It's not just, uh, you know, kind of this um, symbiotic relationship that you see in nature where, where there's unintentional value that's created. We can intentionally create value in somebody else's life. That makes us special. That makes us unique. That makes us different. And I think when we do that intentionally and we find where those three areas of our life intersect, it starts to answer, why are we here? What am I supposed to do with my life? How can I add value to somebody else? It gets us beyond you know, the arguments about words and religion and science and gets us to the essence of the thing that, or whatever, created this explosion, this universe, this expanding spaceship that we're on, moving at 70,000 miles an hour someplace that we have the opportunity to participate in for a short time while we're on this planet. So that is what being kick aspirational is about. It's about finding out how to participate in that, how to choose yourself. And what I'd like to do is in future episodes is, is walk through some of the stories in my own life, interview people who've done this themselves, and talk about this in the hope that it'll help me articulate you know, my own life, but also share ideas that may help you find uh, meaning and ways to put meaning into the universe, into this chaos that we experience, so that while we're here together, you can do something that's meaningful, exciting, and can not only change your life, but hopefully change other people's lives around you uh, as we move through this life together. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this initial podcast. Uh, we'll be sending, posting more as we go, as I travel around the world and do different things. And I'll try and bring different people from different walks of life, from different religions and different cultures to have similar conversations like this with you as we go. Thank you very much. Be Kick Aspirational.